Welcome to the Mike Force Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Dometic. I use Dometic fridges in my overland rigs to keep drinks cold, especially those IPAs, and I love all their equipment. Go to shop.dometic.com and use Mike Force, one word, to get free shipping on your next order. Again, shop.dometic.com and use Mike Force, one word, to get free shipping on your next order. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Aris Watches. That's A R E S Watches. They focus on function, durability, and reliability. I wear their Diver One Aris Watch and love it. Aris was started by my good friend Matt. Matt and me served together in the Central Intelligence Agency, but also Matt served in law enforcement as an air marshal. Um, and he took his disciplines and attention to detail and acting as an end user and develops the best watches in the world. For a limited time, if you go to ariswatches.com, use Mike Force, one word, to save 10% on your next purchase. Again, ariswatches, that's A R E S, watches.com. Use Mike Force to save 10%. On this podcast, I had the great honor and privilege of connecting with my friend Omar from the ICTF, that's the Iraqi Counterterrorism Force, the elite tier one unit conducting counterterrorism operations all over Iraq. They're the sole reason that ISIS doesn't exist in Iraq. We operated with them since 2003-4 in Jordan, where we trained them up, and they conducted counterterrorism operations with them until 2014. The ICTF is an important part of history, and I had the honor of catching up with Omar, a member of the ICTF, who now lives in Texas. This is his story, his journey, and I'm super excited for you guys to hear this podcast. So here we go. Omar, salam alaikum. Alaikum salam. <laughs> Thank you for coming, man, on the podcast. And um, I know it's last second. Um, I didn't even give you a chance, man. I just said, throw on the headphones and let's do this. It's all good, man. Thanks for having me here. You nervous? Um... A little bit, maybe. It's like a, it's like a, it's like your first time doing a combat operation. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it would be actually exciting, you know. Yeah, uh, you'll feel better after you, um, after you hear it when you're driving your truck. You'll be like, man, that's that's a good podcast. I yeah, I'm you. gonna be surprised. You know, I, I sounds like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I wanted to. One of the things I wanted to do in this podcast is, you know, we talk about we talk to a lot of people from different backgrounds and experiences. But I have always talked about the Iraqi Counterterrorism Force and Iraqi Special Operations Forces and how important they have been in history. What's ironic is it's hard to convey that because I'm an American, I'm in America, but there's no connection uh, with the guys overseas. and you're the first connection to that world that we both lived. Mm -hmm. we, we both lived that world. And it, I almost feel like it feels like a flash of light and we could be there yesterday. Mm -hmm. to, like right now, it can, oh, yeah. it's just like yesterday, right? Um, but it's been a long time and that world was a completely different world, right? It is. It's, uh, it's a new experience. As you know, the ICTF was... Uh, was established in 2003 and um, 
It was it was created by by the B two three and a lot of other uh, groups like A one five, A one five, C one one, C one ten, even yeah. uh, the, the seals. They work with too many different teams, but the main one ones were the B two three, the A one five, but for for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I was in the ICTF from two thousand and six till two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. and um, I'm gonna tell you it was my it was the best experience of my life. I I learned a lot. Like it was it was a very short time maybe, but I learned a lot. I I I became a different person, and uh, the training working with you guys it it was badass. Like in Iraq, we walk in with the best special forces in the world, you know. And look at the ICTF in 2003 started with very small group of guys. And if you look at it today is the first special forces in the whole Middle East. Wow. This is like this is a very big transition. Mm-hmm. And um I made it here in 2009. Um we had a long story and um the funny thing, I, I I made it to Arizona. I didn't tell you this. I really? was I was in Tucson. Really? Yeah. We that was went, the first place you landed. Um. Well, it was Chicago, but you know the flight yeah, landed. Yeah. We we uh we oh, our flight was from Jordan to Chicago, and from Chicago all the way to Tucson. So your first experience in America was Tucson, Arizona. Basically. Wow. First, um, we were planning to go to uh, Washington State. Mm-hmm. And then we had a friend. He was uh, a translator. He was in Onai Lima. Mm-hmm. I think he came with the A15. Mm-hmm. And he lived in Fort Chuka, Sierra Vista. Yeah. And he heard that we're coming to the U.S. We has a very we, we're like we are connected. Like we have very close connection with this guy. And he's like, man, you should just come to Arizona, Washington. Going to be cold, and you know I'll be here helping you out and all that. And yeah, we landed here. In 2009, it was Tucson, Arizona, wow. but we had we had to leave to Texas. Tucson's like Baghdad; <laughs> it's the hottest. It's well, hot. Like we, you know, the I remember the airplane landed, and I was just waiting to see America, the one I've been seeing like in the movies, Hollywood. You know, this tall buildings, palm and, trees. Yeah, and everywhere I go, I'll just see this uh, the cactus, and I was like, "Where's the building? You know, those huge buildings and." We, you know, the, the the driver took us for like maybe fifteen minutes, and he's like, "This is your house." I was like, "That's it," because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're used to seeing New York and yeah. all the big cities. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we were there till 2011. Then we moved to Texas. I got a lot of, uh, I got more ICTF buddies that you know the. Some of them they got like immigrant visas, yeah. and, and some came here for like classes. Uh, some for rangers and intelligent classes here. And then um, I had two friends. They stayed in, in America. They didn't go back to Iraq. And then um, they, they they lived in San Antonio. And I was like, okay, I got I got some company here. I, I, I got to move. Yeah. I moved to San Antonio in 2011. And then I was sending pictures to my family in in Arizona, in Arizona, I was like, you should move down here. It's more green, and they got some buildings, some buildings, you know. Yeah. And two months later, the whole family was there. <laughs> really, yeah. the whole family, like the dad, the brothers, yeah, yep. everybody moved up. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your 
beginnings in Iraq? Like, where where are you from in Iraq? So, in Iraq, we are from Baghdad. Mm-hmm. Um, the side we live in, it's a Sunni side. So, um, in Saddam Hussein time, our like you know side of town, it was it was kind of cool because it has a lot of officers from the Saddam army and all that. So it was it was a good neighborhood. And after the war, um, this neighborhood, like it was turned like a place for Al Qaeda. It was full of Al Qaeda. Really? Yeah. It was the, this neighborhood called Yermuk. And Yermuk, it was uh, it was uh, the last. If you remember the highway Irish, the yeah. the airport. Yep, the main road out yeah. of the airport. So the last bridge. Before you get to the green zone, it was the neighborhood on the left side. Yeah, very it, affluent neighborhood, like a beautiful neighborhood. Yeah, and yeah. if you ever seen that big mosque at the corner of yeah. the highway, yeah. So behind that mosque, this was my neighborhood. And now it became a, it became a, a, a safe haven for Al Qaeda. Oh yeah, it was it was their like main place because just across from this highway, it was the Shia side. Yeah. So like fighting you, against each other. Basically, you remember the like the situation in two thousand and six and five. Yeah. So you hear like, you know, at night, a truck whatever pulled in and they they get a motor and they like they shot a lawakbar lawakbar and they shoot motor to the other side. Yeah. And like an hour later, we get motored back from from the, from this side. Yeah. Constant mortars going back and yeah. forth. And um, how was it growing up in that? How was it growing up underneath Saddam Hussein? Was it just a normal life? Like it was safe? It was not normal because you can't really say whatever you want. Yeah. You have no choice to choose whatever you want to be. Like if, because you know, like in Iraq, there's tribes. Yeah. And if there's you, tribes in Sunni, tribes in, in Shia. In Shias, really? Yeah. Okay. So. And Sunni, if you're from this tribe that helps Saddam, you have more chances to become like something, you know. Uh, and part of his <clears throat> tribe that he grew yeah. up in. Saddam Hussein was a very like hard time for Iraq, like especially after like uh, the Iranian War and when he entered Kuwait. We lived in Kuwait back then. Mm-hmm. My father had a job in Kuwait, and then after the war, we got kicked out. We had to go back to Iraq. And um, life was very hard. Um, there is no justice. You know, if you disagree, you're done. Really? Yeah. What do you mean done? Like they'll come and snatch you up? Basically. Like if you say something simple like such like, I hate Saddam, and somebody he- heard you. And they reported you? You're done. And if you try to escape, it's not an option. Even if you like make it to Europe or whatever, they'll come get they you. They got your family. Oh, yeah. They would arrest your your father, mother, sisters. They don't care. Would they put them in prison, or would they would entire people and families just disappear? They have like, they kind of disappear. They have like a private prison, mm-hmm. okay, and they got a way where they can where, where they can get in touch with you. Hey, we got your family. And you got no option to escape. Yeah. If you don't make it back, your family is is, is done. Wow. And it it just makes me like, you know, it's funny like to see people here. Yeah. They don't really appreciate the life in the U.S. Yeah. You know, 
that because that kind of life is completely yeah foreign to Americans where you're you could say one thing and your whole family disappears exactly and if you see people here they asking about a freedom and justice I mean I'm gonna ask you a question have you seen like if you look at the protests or the riots I'm talking left or right have you ever seen illegal immigrants in there never. You know why? why? Because we appreciate the life here. Mm. We like, we believe that you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want in America. Yeah, and that's you still life. believe in the American dream. That's uh, absolutely. That's the way we're living. Like we start from the bottom. We came from Iraq. We had nothing. Nothing. Yeah, we like. I literally went to like almost four years just to learn English. I came here. All I, all I know, yes and no. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, this is all I know about English. And wow. I spent four years just to learn English. And then when, you know, I, 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 I went to college, like, for criminal justice. I did about a year, and then I had to leave. I just had, you know, some situation. And we started, like, business here as a family, like my brother, my, my father, as trucking business. We start from the bottom. We start just driving for somebody. And now we have we have a couple eighty wheelers. Just we're the owner of this company. Now. Yeah, you have your own business in America. Own business in America. This is on, like we've been in America since two thousand and nine. And right 11, now, eleven years, and now we have our own business, making a very good money. And this is a proof shows that America is the country of the opportunity. Why do you think? Because we've never had this conversation about the protesters and stuff. But why do you think? Why do you think people in America are protesting when it seems at the root of what they're protesting isn't necessarily true, right? Because they say social injustice. Well, in the, in the understanding of, of real social injustice or real racism or real poverty, it doesn't seem to be what that is. And in fact, most of the people who are actually protesting are not, I mean, they're mostly white. Right, and they're mostly mm -hmm. affluent. It's not like they're 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 homeless off the street. Why do you think Americans are doing that? Like, <clears throat> um, let me think about it. Yeah. Like people, I I just don't get why people think racism still exists in America. Yeah. Like to me, I think. Racism was maybe like 300 years ago. Yeah. Because just like I said earlier, just like I mentioned, you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, you know. So yeah. I'm Arab. Yeah. Okay. And I started as a driver with my brother, my father. We we made our company. And nobody said, oh, you're, you're Arab. You can't have this or own this. Yeah. So you can be whatever you want. I, don't, I just don't get why people protest like... Um, life in America, it's it's a dream for for millions of people overseas, mm -hmm. and that want to be here, absolutely, and can't, and can, you know, and um, if you look at the community, like like a lot of people want justice. In my opinion, most people they ask for justice, like they're like most of them are criminals. Yeah. So he asked for a justice to a criminal or somebody like just break the law, yeah. just like for a simple thing. And 
they want justice for this guy because he got hurt or, or he got shot by, by the police. But this guy never complied with the police. Yeah. Like if you get pulled over or, or your police officer asks you for something, just follow the orders. You don't have to, you know, to take that racist thing, racism thing as, as an excuse, you know. Yeah. To yeah, fight to fight the 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 law enforcement. Yeah, because in in Iraq, if you didn't if you didn't buy in and you didn't follow not just the law but the the dictatorship, you, you would get murdered. Absolutely. And and so the people, I mean, this is a problem I think everywhere. But people believe that law and order is somehow bad. But when it's good, meaning when it's equal, when it's not oppressive, when it's not a dictator, it's it's really a good thing to have in in culture, in society, because it allows people to have their lives without worrying about getting murdered by criminals. And we've seen criminals. We've seen real terrorists mm-hmm. and real bad people. Oh yeah. And I think what you said was important because, you know, when people when people want justice, when people want all this stuff, um, they typically don't have an idea about the world around them. And a lot of people who are screaming the loudest are making the biggest excuses, right? They, they, they mm-hmm. often make excuses. And I, I just don't, there's a difference between prejudice and racism. Racism is your inability, like you said, to, to thrive in a society because the society is racist. Mm-hmm. But you're Arab. Out of all the races across the world, um, you would expect because of the things that have happened in America with 9-11, where thousands of people were murdered, that there would be systemic racism, um, but there's not. Because Absolutely. we all experience prejudice, right? We all. I grew up and people made fun of me for being Chinese. Hell, Arabs in Iraq <laughs> made fun of me for being uh, looking Chinese or Japanese. But that's like almost natural for people to do because they segregate amongst themselves and they're, they don't even realize they're being prejudiced. But racism is a completely different thing, right? It is. Like, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. So let's talk about colors. So people here in America, they think um, the, the African-American, they're the targeted on racism and all that, and which is not. Because, I mean, the previous president was uh, African American, <laughs> yeah. right? If you look in Middle East, about the we have a lot of Afri- uh, African Arab, yeah, you know, community there. Do you know that uh, slavery still exists? Oh yeah, in some Arab countries. Yes, yes. You you, you literally can buy your own slave. Yep. Libya. When I was there, you could do it. Thank you, sir. Yeah. This is a big example. Like you talk about Libya, Saudi Arabia, um, UAE, Kuwait, whatever. Yeah. You buy slaves. Yeah. Yeah. And um, even in Iraq, we had uh, I think we had four black Iraqi in the ICTF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, you know. Um, <laughs> They always take it as a joke. It was, yeah. You know, because we're but, all brothers, right? But but racism, racism there is always exist in in Middle East. Yeah. Okay. In here, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You you would go to jail for a hate crime. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just don't get why people go furious 
you know, especially the the, the African American community here, when somebody get murdered, and everybody like go nut. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, it could be you know um, the right thing to do by the bullies, or it could be a mistake. Yep. It's still you don't respond like that. You just go destroy and burn, you know, big cities and black businesses. Right. Even this is this is evil to yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. It's scary. Is it scary? Like I feel like it, and I don't mean to imply this, but I feel like you should be scared because when I, if I, you know, I have an immigrant mentality and mindset, right? Because my mom is Korean. Um, I'm just that's how I grew up, right? I grew up as a minority. So when I see people that are looking to destroy this country because they have the wrong idea or because they have whatever their agenda is, mm -hmm. it scares me because I'm like, this is the greatest country on the planet and they don't realize it and they're trying to burn down this country. That's that's sad. To me, it's very sad. Yeah. It's, it's not only scary, but it's just sad to see this beautiful nation just get burned down like that, you know? Um, where where were you? Where were you when the uh, Iraq and Saddam Hussein was the 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 invasion for the American army, and then the war starting in uh, two thousand three? Where were you? Oh, so yeah, we were like you know watching the news. We know something's gonna happen. Like it was very like everything going like. Oh, everything was complicated, and we know something gonna happen because we see a lot of Iraqi army, co you know, convoys just pulling out of the bases and going like south, you know, for like the main entrance for the U.S. Uh, forces, like from Kuwait and Saudi yeah. Arabia. How old were you at the time? Oh uh, shoot, I was like maybe fifteen, wow. sixteen. So you're yeah. a kid. Yeah, I was. I was a kid, and I remember um, when the. Uh, when the alarm goes on on that morning, yeah, you know the the city alarm, and we know like, and we saw Bush on the TV. Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> so you're watching TV, yeah. and watching all this take place yeah. and go on. And we okay, we're like, oh, here we go. It just started, and yeah. we just heard the uh, they call it the air defense, the Iraqi air defense, start shooting. Yeah, and we heard the bomb. I remember the the. Closest explosion was to our house. It was probably not even a mile. Wow. Yeah. That and was the big, that was on TV that all the bombs started yes, dropping. Yeah. yeah. And this was the, uh, 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 the connection or the, it was like the phone building. Yeah. For our neighborhood. Yeah. The tower, the, the cell tower. phone tower. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, you seen the tower, right? The big Baghdad tower? Yes. Yes. So it was the building right next to it. The, the uh, control room for the tower. Exactly. And this this was the closest ex explosion to our house. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I remember like... Uh, were you scared? Uh, I mean, we used to it. Like it, yeah. it, it's, it's some, it, it's, it became normal. Mm -hmm. like, Iraq, like Iraqis, like the generation, like so the 70s, 80s, 90s, it, it's, it's like normal for them to hear like explosions, stuff like that. Yeah. Was no, it because of infighting? Or was it because of well, Iran and well, because Iran and uh, I in uh, uh, I think in 1998, I remember when uh, Baghdad got hit too by American. Yeah, um, this was I think on the Clinton yeah. time. Yeah, and then 2003. So it's normal like to hear that, 
But we knew this time for sure Saddam Hussein is done because mm -hmm. it was serious. What did that feel like? Were you, what, what was the feeling in your family? Was it exciting or was it? It was, to be honest. We're like, you know, we're finally going to be open to the world. Be free. Be free. Because mm -hmm. at Saddam Hussein time, you can't have uh, a dish at home. All, you, uh, the only TV you can see is the local TV. The state TV, yeah. No cell phones. Really? No. This is a no-no. So nobody had cell phones? Nope. So you nope. had no access to the outside world? Right. So the <laughs> only phone you have is the one that we call it the ground phone, mm -hmm. the wires. Yeah, landline yeah. phone. Yeah. And this is the only phone we have. So we're like, finally, we're going to be open to the world. And I remember seeing the first American convoy bull into our neighborhood. Really? It was like, wow. Whoa. It was uh, a convoy of Bradleys. Uh-huh. And they were huge. And, you know, this door in the back opened. Yeah. And the soldiers came out and were like, wow. Wow. And then they started talking. We had We had a guy, he's... He's Iraqi Canadian. He speaks very good English. He was yeah. born in Canada, but, but his father Iraqi, <laughs> and he was there in Baghdad. Yeah, at the war, he was a friend of mine, and he started talking to them in English. And the whole convoy, like around this dude, yeah, was like how you speak this English, and he's like, wow. "Oh, I'm a Canadian." Wow. Yeah, and um, it was like I can't even describe this. Like the feeling when you see that, like the first time. If you're alive, yeah. you see American convoy did you in. Did that make you feel hope or did that make you feel like scared or fearful? No, it was, like I said, everybody, uh, it, it was a hope for us because you know the life we lived at Saddam Hussein time. And um, they, 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 I, I believe the only mistake that America did in Iraq, they just chose the wrong Iraqi leaders. Yeah. Like, that's why, because they chose bad guys from the Shia, the Shia side and bad guys from, from the Sunni guys. They and disagree made them leaders. Yeah. with each other all the time, their whole life. These war been going, like, since the 70s. Yeah. It's not, like, something new. And then they did not focus on building Iraq or, like, you know... Uh, building a, a big security because they lean on the American forces. They would do that for them. Mm -hmm. They and, needed to make uh, Iraqis secure themselves. Right. But we didn't do that. Well, I'm not going to lie. We did a really good job. Yeah. Like Iraqi American forces. Yeah. I'm talking from like, if you look at the 09, this is when I left, even like 2010, there was nothing going on. Yeah. Everything was back on it's track. Quiet. Yeah, it's quiet. <laughs> like, if you remember 2006, we go to the mission, yeah. and it's like 16 Humvees. Oh, yeah. 2009 is like four or five of them. Yeah. It was it's very quiet. Yeah. And um, the mistake was, I think, bullying out from Iraq. This this is another mistake. Huge mistake, right? Yeah. Because... Uh, That's where ISIS took advantage. Exactly. If you look at ISIS, these motherfuckers, they've been... Am I allowed to? Cut? Yeah, yeah, you can cuss on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these, <laughs> these guys, they are not. They didn't build themselves overnight. Yeah. Somebody was preparing these guys for years. Do you think that happened after Zarqawi was killed in '06? Um, I think it's in 2010. After 2010, because mm -hmm. they let when they uh, they broke in uh, Abu Ghraib jail, 
they released a lot um, uh, criminals from there. And also the Iraqi government, they let a lot of the, of uh, you know, Buka jail? It was, it's in bus from South Iraq, Buka? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they let a lot of criminals Bakuba? out. We call it Bakuba? It called Buka. 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 Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So they let a lot of criminals out after 2010. Wow. So in my opinion, like from 2010 till 2014, I think this is the time where ISIS is going to reunion. Because we, we never fight ISIS before. It used to be Al-Qaeda. Yeah. yeah. So they come up with that new ideology and new name. And they were like... Even my, I was not there during the ISIS war, but I was in touch with my friends yeah. like 24 hours, 24 seven, you know, I lost two cousins there. I lost almost nine guys from my troop. So fighting ISIS, fighting ISIS. Wow. This is after 2014. And they tell me, dude, these guys, they did not build their self overnight. Yeah. I mean, they got tank, they got drones, you know, they, they watching over us with the drones. And they're trained. They trained really like they got tactics were really good, right? Huh? Their tactics were really good. Exactly. Like mm. they got, you know, and, and you know, and they, the ideology they have, they don't care to die. Yeah. Like most enemy you fight, they choose the defense, you know, position. Yeah. But not these ISIS. guys know they're offensive all the way. Yeah. Like mm. they don't care. And they have a lot of like snipers, trained snipers, you know. You raise like your finger at the wall, your finger get hit. And met, like this kills snipers. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it was a tough war. But, you know. Do you um I, I heard people criticize that when we p- went into Iraq and then when we pulled out and dismantled the Iraqi army, that was a mistake. But wasn't the Iraqi army full of sympathizers under Saddam Hussein, under the regime? So when we when we disabled the Iraqi army, a mm-hmm. lot of people said we should have never did that. We should have kept it in place because a lot of those people then became criminals, right? I I agree with that, and and many of Saddam army, they 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 disagree with Saddam, yeah. But in private, they can't do anything. They had to follow orders, mm-hmm. and you're talking about guys like. They, they they have a very good experience as far as like, you know, military experience and all that. So U.S. would use these guys from like day one. I would get every, like I would call everybody back. We need to sit and talk. And I promise you, everybody will agree to work with the U.S. But yeah, that's a mistake. Yeah. Right? And most of these guys, <laughs> like when, when Fallujah happened, who, who led Fallujah? These guys, mm-hmm. Fallujah fighters, they were like 80% to 90 all from Saddam military, mm. you know. Because they have no choice now, right? Or do they have, I mean, if you were, because didn't they say, didn't they say everybody who's in the Saddam army, you're now an enemy c- combatant, right? We're going to fight you. It's, the thing is, they, they did not get, um, the call, like I said, nobody would, you know, it, like I said, th- th- that's why I mentioned day one, I would get everybody. There was no in. diplomacy. Right. Yeah. And these guys were like, okay, so you hand the country, okay, to these bad Iraqis, you know, the leaders, so we're going to fight you, okay? And on top of that, they got the, ideolo- the ideology from Al Qaeda, and you got a big mix now. 
extremists yeah. with normal people. Yeah. yeah. And these guys start like, you know, supporting Al Qaeda. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, you're welcome, and we're with you. And that's that's why Fallujah wow. was very hot at the beginning, because it held all the Al Qaeda, and they start high, like you know, um, uh, recruiting soldiers for, for, from all the Middle East, like from Saudi, from Libya, from Egypt, yeah. Syria, and uh, that's why it was very hot area there in 2003, yeah. and it started like from there. And this is the mistake I, I believe that um, we nobody you know made the call for for the Iraqi uh, yeah. army to come not, to the table. Saddam, right? Yeah, I saw like if you look at the deck which I have in there, the mm-hmm. deck of targets for um, it, uh, Saddam Hussein it, it, for the high value targets. It was mostly the regime, mm-hmm. and I always thought like why, like if Saddam Hussein's the problem. Just like many um, leaders are the problem, when you come to the table, the leaders could tell their armies mm-hmm. to change or stand down, right? Because they have command. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have those leaders on your side, then you're going to fight every one of those soldiers as enemy, and then it's going to be a hard war to fight. Versus if you could, like, if we go, if we went into uh, Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. and you didn't sit down with the leaders of Saudi Arabia, you'd be fighting half the country because they would all become enemy combatants. Right. And then, you know, Al Qaeda comes in and they go, hey, we're your brothers. Mm-hmm. We want to help you. And then who are you going to turn to? They're going to turn to Al Qaeda because they have nowhere to turn. And that's what happened with ISIS too. Yeah. Like uh, after 2014. When we pulled out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they went to these very small villages and and and, and Ramadi, Mosul, Saladin. Started recruiting. And they started recruiting, and they said, "Hey, you you saw this government for for the past almost nine years, ten years. They didn't do anything for you, so we're here to do a rev- like a revolution, you know, to take over this government and look at the ideology that ISIS came with." Mm. And then they killed everybody that even agreed with them. Yeah. Where and did they, they come from? Where did is there play, is there rumors or, or conversations of where they came from? Um, to me, I think they, I believe uh, they they came from those leaders that got released from the jail. Yeah. In two thousand and ten. From Abu Ghraib. From yeah. Abu Ghraib, and and like I said, they always had camp Al Qaeda. Like Iraq had a big desert, especially the Ramadi side. Yeah. Okay. And I had a, a a friend of mine. He's in San Antonio. He used to be an officer with, with the with the with the ISOF. And he said they they got pictures like a satellite pictures of some camps, like training camps, West Iraq, and they just were waiting for the order to like hit you know, this this camps, and he's like two days later, ISIS was everywhere. Wow. Yeah. So these guys, like I said, they. They did not build themselves overnight. They had the time, yeah. they had the capacity yeah. and the training. I mean, they got, yeah, they got capacity, they got media, they got a, a, like billions of dollars. Yeah. You know, even when they got, when they got uh, Baghdadi, his brother-in-law was on the Arabic TV. Yeah. Uh, he was captured alive. And he was talking about how they uh, bury uh, like $10 million, $15 million, like a mile from each other in the desert. Yeah, cachets of money. And I was like, how did this guy get the money? 
Like, mm. who support them? Yeah. You know? And like I said, ISIS is not something, you know, was discovered overnight. Somebody was building Feeding this ideology. Building. Yeah. And if you look, it's the, the problem now is the ideology. It's not the place. If you look, there is like... In East Asia, in Philippines, there is ISIS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in Indonesia, Libya, yeah. Indonesia, like everywhere. Wow. And it's it's hard to fight the ideology. Mm-hmm. It's easy to fight them in person. Yeah. But the ideology is hard. It's very hard. You know. You, when did you, how did you and when did you decide to get involved in the military? So my oldest brother... Uh, he joined the ICTF in 2004. Oh, early on. Yeah. Like first class. Yeah, this is, uh, he was the third. Third class. Yeah. So uh, he was always telling us a story about the ICTF. And a year later, my my, my, my other brother joined the ICTF. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner now. Yeah. So Your uh, business partner now. Right. Uh, yeah. Iraqi counterism, uh, counterterrorism force, the, the most elite unit. Mm-hmm. You had two brothers in the unit. This is the special thing about the ICTF. There is no strangers. Yeah. In there, it's all family. Family. Everybody knows. It's, each it's other. like family-owned battalion. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. And it, either like family or neighbors. Like my brother himself, he got almost twenty-five guys in there because he was like, you know, for the first ones, you know, and then you guys. You just go to, you know, to the old ICTF guys. Hey, you get whoever you know. Yeah. And the applicants at first, it was not that huge. They go like, they would go like 500, 600, and they go to a selection and they filter these guys to like 100 or something. Yeah. And then the ICTF would take 20 to 25. Very and, small. Group. Yeah. And the rest, they go to the 36 commando. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Rangers. Right. Yeah. How, <laughs> this is the Iraqi Ranger. How, how was selection for you? Was it a shock for you? I heard a lot of stories about the selection. Um, but like I said, when I was legal to join in 06, I was like, I'm in. You're young. You're super young. I was, I was super young. Like, I, I try... In 2005, and I got kicked out. They said, you got to wait for like another year. Mm. So I went there, and my brothers and the friends, they told me a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But it was different, like when you see it in person. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's It was hard. I'm not going to lie. Was it the hardest thing you've ever done? I would say I would do whatever now and feel a proud of it. Because if somebody asked me why, because I'll tell them, hey, I've done this election. Yeah. Yeah. The selection is, it was only 15 days, but this 15 days will show how patient they get the deep soul out of you. Yeah. You know, because like I said, in my selection, the applicant were almost at that, like 1,500. Wow. Like it was a big truck. I got to the gate by, uh, by the airport uh-huh. and I was like, wow, everybody going there. Who was your uh, instructors for selection? Was it B23? Um, I think it was the A15. A15, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember they had this four wheels. Yeah. And they, they, they called like, they call it the party. They, the party, they came at night. Yeah. And they let you sleep for like two hours and then 
suddenly you just hear those flashbangs go to your tent and out, out. Yeah. You know, I had my boot on almost for like seven days because I got no time. Like when they call you out, you got no time to put it on. So just keep them on. Yeah. So it was hard. A lot of, I, I would say the, 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 the first three days, all the smokers quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't be a much, smoker. Yeah, because too much pressure on them. Yeah. And, and it was hot too. It was it was in the summer, mm. and I remember those instructor will get a very cold bottle of water, mm -hmm. and they said, "Hey, he want, who wants some?" and quit. Yeah, were and, people coming up? <laughs> yeah, some people gave up because the water they used to give us it was like a ballot set under the sun, hot water, and this is where you drink your water yeah. from. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you want water? And he just literally poured it on the ground, and we just watch him. It, it's like gold. This water worth like gold, <laughs> you know? How many people out of the 1,500 that started, how many people finished and got to the unit? Um, out of, I, I was talking 1,500. The ones that went to the ICTF, it was about 35. Wow. Yeah. The 35 rest, people. Yeah, the rest were like... The whole selection, I would say about like 300, I would say survive. Mm -hmm. So 35 went to the ICTF and the rest, like 36, the commando, the Iraqi Rangers. Yeah, Iraqi Rangers. <laughs> How did they determine who was going to ICTF versus who was going to the Rangers? Well, they, you get like a, um, a group from the ICTF would come to the selection. And they introduce oh, themselves. They would hey, be watching you. We're the ICTF, whatever. And a lot of people would raise their hand and they, they choose whoever, like, you know, had like the best build, uh, even the ages, you know. Yeah. They'd be like, you know, we want somebody fresh because you're going to go to a very, like, serious training after that. Mm. And then, So they handpicked their guys. Right. Wow. So I got there. Um, they sent us home for like a week after the selection. And then we had to do our training. It was almost three to four months, mm -hmm. uh, like special. Uh, they call it the counter-terrorist training. Mm -hmm. So we started like from the range, CQB, the uh, the fast stroke, and shooting all like kind of machine guns. And I think the the fun, the funniest one. I mean, like the the, the most fun was the C, uh, the shooting house. Yeah. Yeah, doing CQB in the shoes. Yeah. We have two guys that quit. They couldn't do it. They they felt scared. Like you know, they yeah. shoot somebody because it's very like I was shocked at the beginning. Like you see, a, like very small rooms has like three target, and there is like six guys in that room. Everybody shooting these targets. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. right next to each other. Right. Yeah. And it just teach you how to trust your your you know your your buddies your your troop. And um, this was the good experience. I mean, I learned a lot from it. And, of course, when I started, like, on the ground with the ICTF, I, I met you guys, and I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, we were, I think, the baddest forces on the ground. Oh, yeah. And back in the day, the Iraqi used to call us the dirty forces. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And some people call us the uh, the thunder convoy mm -hmm. they call us the thunder because they hear the minigun sometimes when they shoot oh yeah so they think is the thunder they're not educated about minigun they, I, yeah. I was i was shocked when i first saw the minigun i was like wow yeah you know it was badass like i just be proud like even going to like different like bases like you know green zone for example 
when our convoy pulled in, everybody, even the American like army, they oh, look at this? us like, "Wow, yeah, who are these you guys?" Know? So, were you? How was your ex first experiences in combat? Because you know you have the training, and it's controlled mm -hmm. and it's very specific. But when you do combat, it changes everything, right? Because you, you're, you're, and, and the difference for you versus me is the environment for me is very foreign. Mm -hmm. But the environment for you guys, you know the neighbors of some of these people. Yep. You know, so it's very different. I can't imagine leaving here and going, you know, loading up our vehicles and going down the road in Prescott mm -hmm. and then hitting a house in Prescott, Arizona. Yep. It's just it's just weird. <clears throat> was that weird for you? And how was the experience? To be honest, like with this part, we feel very like excited mm -hmm. when we go out. Because we know the bad guys, the bad Iraqis, maybe like more than you do. We know how they screwed. We know how they kill. Yeah. Like we see it in our civilian life and we can't do anything. Yeah. So imagine you have this opportunity now to go after those guys. To clean your own neighborhoods them. up. Yeah. yeah. So for us, nobody was scared. Mm -hmm. Like once we put that breach on the door... You remember, like... Oh, you guys were aggressive. Like, yeah. everybody went to go in first. Yeah. And it was, like, you know, the best experience for us to to be in this position, fighting for our own neighborhoods, our own people, you know? Yeah, that's, so, that's a very well-put statement, because you guys weren't just fighting against bad guys. You're fighting to make your neighborhood safer. And cleaner. Yeah, and cleaner for the people that you yeah, love. Exactly. So I remember, like, in 2005, I was playing soccer on the street. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this guy came at me. He had a beard, and he has this uh, Arabic dress. Yeah. They call it the Dizdasha. Uh-huh. And he's like, what's your name? I was like, Omar. And he's like, hey, you need to be in the mosque this evening and I was like in the mosque and I was like okay so I went to the mosque okay this evening and they had to do the bray you know they bray like five times a day yeah yeah so it was like the fourth bray and after the bray he's like hey we need to sit and talk don't leave and I was like what's going on so he's like go to this circle like bunch of guys you know on that circle and then this guy came the long beard and he's like hey you are the future of the this country you are the future of the of this religion blah 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 and it's time for you to to do like the biggest part to fight for 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 you like for your country for whatever and i was like what's going on <laughs> he's a recruiter huh <laughs> yeah so I just want like to leave the door. I just want I just want to make that call to call my brother. Yeah. And then I left and I got home and I immediately called my brother Anwar because Anwar he was the sergeant major of the S2 for the whole ICTF. Yes. You I may know recognize him. His, I know him yeah, very well. Yeah. 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 So, I worked with him a lot. Yeah. So yeah. Anwar, he's like, dude, do you know his name? I was like, I, I he he introduced himself and I know how he looks like. And he's like, you need to collect as much as you like as as much information as you can so and then he's like you need to leave the house immediately take the family and go to my uncle he lived like an entire different town yeah 
And I got there, and he's and he called. He's like, the family safe? I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, get a taxi and come to the airport in 05. And I stayed in Anwar room for almost four months. Wow. He, like, I hide there in the ICTF. That's why I'm so familiar. Like, I know everybody in the ICTF. Because <laughs> yeah. I, like, I was there, like, when I was yeah. civilian. And That's when your I family, came, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think um, I couldn't get, like, as much information that helped Anwar to capture this guy. But a year later, I, I, I kept calling a friend of mine in that neighborhood. And he's like, dude, there's a big green American um, uh, tank, you know. They, they got to his house and then he got arrested. I was like, thanks God. And I was assuming those strikers. Strikers, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, thanks God, he's done. Wow. <laughs> Somebody else was after him, you know? Wow. So, so he was an Al-Qaeda recruiter, maybe. He was Al-Qaeda recruiter. So oh, you could, oh. like, uh, that's why, like, in Iraq, you have to have a very, like, good mentality. You have to be, like, a grown man to decide to what you want to be. Yeah, because if you're younger, Yeah, because I was thinking about these guys were sitting with me in the circle. What happened like, to oh, them? Oh, yeah, this is awesome. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's 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 very hard, like, to live in that kind of environment and not to get involved in something, you know? Yeah. The chances is, like, right there. And a lot of people, they would do it for, for money. They they would recruit them for money for, for women, you know? You get a uh, virgin now and virgin when you die. And a lot of people would do it. Wow. And what else do they get look for look forward to if they're if they're this, you know they don't have the experiences like yeah. you or your brothers they they easily it's, become bad it's, guys. It's it's easy for for them. And when you get, when they get you into this ideology, it's hard to get it out of their mind. When we used to capture them, like we talked to them in Arabic, it's like, dude, why are you doing this? And all he said, like, oh, you're going to hell, and I'm going to heaven. You can do whatever you want to me. Wow. Yeah. That and, brainwashed about yeah, like they're like things, you yeah. can't. There is no negotiation with them. Yeah, they're like brainwashed, like you said. Yeah, that's what people understand is when you get to the point where you're capturing or killing or capturing bad guys, it's because there there is no there is no negotiation. You can't talk to terrorists. They've already made the decision. Uh, absolutely to terrorize. Absolutely. I mean, just we were just laughing, but you met you missed this. You missed the times. Oh, the guys. Ab- absolutely, brother. Yeah. What's your, what, what do you miss the most? It's um, like how you show yourself, like how you show force on the ground. Yeah. That, you know, make people feel safe. That, you know, make people, you know, have hope that there is a new um, guys here are really doing like they like new guys kick asses. You know, they're doing like some great job capture all these bad people you know and like when we show up or like sometimes like you know our missions all like all at night but sometimes like you know we drive and you know the like by dawn or the morning comes out and people start see our convoy and then all people like i see i can see it in their face like they go you know they have hope now they see like iraqis having this kind of like vehicle this kind of tactical this kind of ability to you know um, to capture these bad guys. Yeah, and um, I always saw that when you guys, when you guys rode around, mm-hmm. and it's very different, you know, being in an American convoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people in Baghdad or people in the streets, they see you and they look at you, and they're they're not. It's they're skeptical. They mm-hmm. they just don't understand. They don't they don't have their mind made up. 
But when you guys would roll around, mm-hmm. everybody was like cheering. It was like a parade. Everywhere yeah. Went. Like, Some, like very few people, they yeah. don't show respect. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you how. So let's say we stopped somewhere. We had to make security on the area. And like some Iraqi, whatever kid walk in and they curse in Arabic. Mm. They think we're American. Like we all had masks, but they see all this gun and, you know, this gears and they think when the night vision. Yeah. And they think, hey, these Americans. And we curse back in Arabic and they just run away. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, yeah, people don't realize that, I mean, the ICTF, you guys are the best operators in the world. Like you guys, there's no difference between you shooting on a range and me shooting on a range. Like people don't understand that. In fact, what what I would tell people, I always tell people this, especially to young SEALs, they would mm-hmm. come in and they go, oh yeah, we're gonna teach them all these things. I'm like, how many times have you been to combat? Oh, this is your first, <laughs> this is your first combat? These guys never leave. Like they, their yeah. home is a war zone. Yeah. And so they're always in combat and it getting was, experience. It was um, that we got all this experience, of course, from the training, and you know the the, the support we got from you guys. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. Like even in the mission, I didn't speak English back in the day. Mm-hmm. I cannot communicate with you by talking, but we always had a buddy language. We know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when we enter this house. Nonverbal communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always have this buddy language. You know what to do. I know what to do. We have this trust. We have mm-hmm. this brotherhood. Like we enter this house. You know your direction. I know my direction. There's no, it's nothing complicated on that. Yeah. And I, like I said, it's the, the time we spend on the training, the, the amount of the ammo we shoot on the training. <sighs> Yeah. It make you like, you know, shoot a target with your eyes closed sometimes. Yeah. Like, yeah. And um, that's why I think the ICTF today is the best special forces in the whole Middle East. I think so too. Yeah. It's uh, how many, how many combat operations do you think you've been on in that in the period of time you served? Um, we like I think we had. Like three major, I would say, like combat, you know. But yeah. the missions, the missions were daily, like every day. Gunfighting, it's 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 daily, you know. Yeah, it happened in every, like I would say, it in every other mission, mm-hmm. especially the 0607, It was hot. It was real hot. Yeah, and uh, but the combat, I remember we had the Mosul when we had to fly to Mosul. Uh, this is in two thousand seven ish. Yeah, remember around this time. Was it A15 or B23? Or I think it was the A15 mm-hmm. in that. And we have the one in Balad. Balad, yeah. Yeah, Balad. It was the I, A15 for sure. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And I remember their sergeant major. He's he's very badass. Yeah. He's a guy. Um, who was it? Was it Brokos? It's uh, Mike Bedin, I think. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Familiar with his name? Uh-uh. His name Mike Bedin. Uh-uh. Um, yeah, he's... Uh, I think he was in charge at that time in yeah. Ballot. Um, it was a huge operation. I'll call it that because we spent, like, we went more than once to that uh, neighborhood. And I remember there's a wall. We breached this wall. We enter that little village and we leave in the morning. We came like two days later, they build the wall and we have to breach it again. Wow. Really? <laughs> Save direction. They're fast. Yeah. And uh, this was in Ballot. And 
like I said, I would call it aberration because these guys, they have tunnel under the ground. Hmm. And they used to shoot us like from the tunnel and from the ground, from the ground. Ooh. And that's why we had um, to uh, like to just uh, go back for a little bit, move back. And then we use uh, our machine guns to clear the whole area just to make sure because we start getting fired like from like I would say from nine to three mm -hmm. and from the ground. Wow. So, yeah. So we moved back and then we just respond with the heavy machine gun. We got two forties. Yeah. And then we just respond. And uh, and then we had to call the Air Force, I guess. They drop bombs. They dropped something in there. It just made everything quiet later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you had you had hundreds of combat operations, but those big ones were like the big op ops that yeah, stand out to you. Yeah, because it just we stay like either more more than a day, whatever. But yeah. missions, it's not like Sutter City. I never yeah. been to Sutter City in my civilian life, and yeah. it's in Baghdad. Yeah, yeah. I never been there, and it's huge. It's huge, massive. There is he's talking about like three million population in Sutter City. Yeah, and it's almost the quarter of Baghdad. This is all Sutter City. And uh, we used to hit it every night. 07 and was big. 06, 07. 07, yeah. 07 was, I think, the wildest one with them. Mm -hmm. And we know, like, when we fight Mehdi Army, this militia, we know they don't blow up houses on us. They like RBGs, IEDs on the street, and they like gun fighting. Yeah. So they were easier than Al-Qaeda because Al-Qaeda always, used, you know, want to trick you. Yeah. They let you, you know, go to the house and they try to blow it up on you and stuff like that. Yeah. They but were these, very predictable, the yeah. Mahdi militia. I would say more organized, you know. Yeah. But these guys, they were like wild, you know. Yeah. And uh, we always used to arrest the local bullies because the bullies would make the call, hey, the dirty forces is here. Because they'd be like on the wall at the entrance yep. of you know Sutter City home base we used to call, and we're like, hmm, there's somebody snitching here, and what we start to do every time we get the, to Sutter City, we stop by the police, we take the radios, uh, we just take uh, down their AKs, just throw each part in, in each side. We take we take them sometimes, mm -hmm. and we just cough them and and just keep going. Yeah, because these guys, you know, it's a dangerous city for oh, operations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Were, were you, do you remember when um, B-23 was there in 07, we lost, well, 06, we lost Tung, the other Asian guy from the SIF, I, but on the task force side. Yeah, I heard of him. Yeah. And yep. then in 07, we lost Justin Munchke. Mm -hmm. uh, Munchke, he was killed. He stepped on an IED, but we had a lot of guys from B-23 yeah. and ICTF that were injured because the pressure plate yep. IEDs. Yep. I can't remember where it was. Uh is it uh, maybe Basra or I can't say it was somewhere very specific where they put pressure plate IEDs everywhere and we had so many guys injured that year yeah I think I think um, there's a place used to have a lot of IEDs close to Abu Ghraib every time we go there it yeah. was it was crazy there injured so I remember I had a friend he was from the B-23 I was sad to know that he got killed in Afghanistan actually his name Ben oh Ben Bittner yeah yeah that's my yeah. Oh, really? He's one of my best friends. Yeah. I yeah. this guy, I, I he used to speak a little Arabic. I remember him. Yeah. He would yeah. always be with you guys. Right. Yeah. I remember, like he's very like familiar to me because mm -hmm. in 08, 
um, he was like, hey, don't go to the Iraqi restaurant. You should just come get your breakfast like after the mission from here. Yeah. And this guy, he's so familiar. Like mm. I remember him and I saw his picture when I visit um, the B23 in Fort Bragg. Yeah. I was like, where is this guy? And Neil told me, sadly, he got killed in Afghanistan. I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very good man. Yeah. I served with him. Um, I was on a team with Neil, me, Neil. Mm-hmm. And Jason. And, well, no, me, Neil, and uh, Ben were all on the same team mm-hmm. before we went to B-23. Oh, We were okay. on a different Special Forces okay. uh, mission. We were on a mountain team, mm-hmm. and we did Afghanistan together. And then when I went to B-23... I brought Neil and Ben over. Very nice. And then, you know, there's a, I'll show you a picture before you leave. There's a picture of me and Ben and Neil in the other room. Wow. But uh, Ben really cared about yeah, I, he, I, ICTF. He, he was a very good guy. Yeah, He's good very man. recognizable like there. Everybody yeah. know him. Everybody loved him. And like I said, I remember like he was trying to learn Arabic or like speak a couple of words, trying to speak a couple of words with, with, with me and my friends, you know? Yeah. And um, it was it was a very very good experience, you know, to work with you guys. And like I said, who's your favorite SIF? Is it A one five or B two three? I don't want to like make you know somebody <laughs> upset, but I would say the B two three. Yeah. In my opinion, and uh, I work with the B two three, the C one one, the A one five, and the C one ten. Yeah. Yep. The, yeah. The Why C- is B two three your favorite? Why? Because they were like involved in the ICTF. I would say so much. They got so much involvement in the ICTF, mm. and I, the ICTF always give them big credit. You know, yeah. As far as like the ICTF establishment and all that, yeah. And um, and the A one five, they were badass too. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of guys. They're very well knowing. They have this crazy guy. His name Marshall Marsh. Mm-hmm. He was uh. Uh, he was a black dude. I think he used to tell us he's from New York, mm-hmm. but this guy, he's wild. Like he's, <laughs> I'm gonna. He was the best um, minigun operator. Really? <laughs> like, yeah. And um, I was not in this mission, but in 2006 in uh, in Najaf, he was sitting on the minigun, and a lot of people gave him big credit because he did a fabulous job. Really? Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. You, did you ever have any close calls? What's your closest call? Where you almost lost your life in combat? This was the beginning of 2008. We thought it was going to be quiet. And uh, I think the Iraqi, they enforced something against Mehdi Army. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kidnapped somebody. Uh, and they, uh, they had the, 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 the government had information that this guy, he's uh, in some city called Al Amin. Mm-hmm. Is it close to Sada City? Mm-hmm. But it's not Sada City. So we had to go. This was, I remember, uh, I think January or February 2008. Uh-huh. And the mission, it was uh, it was like a detachment mission. So it was the first mission for the C-110 they received from the A-15. So we, like three... I would call a three-ways mission, ICTF, A-15, and C-110. They did that mission. And uh, as soon as we got to this neighborhood, so it's like a bridge. You go down the bridge, and this is the neighborhood. Yeah. So, at, like, when you go downhill on the bridge, there's a checkpoint. The whole checkpoint was burned. Ooh. So this is a sign that 
this neighborhood is like all a war zone. Yeah. <laughs> and we got in there and it was daytime. We normally don't go daytime. Yeah. Yeah. So and I remember my brother was a driver. He was driving the second Humvee. I was in the fourth Humvee. I was in the back. So, and you know how we drive like a zigzag? So the minigun, absolutely always like first Humvee. Yeah. And he got the second, the third, and fourth. So I was literally behind my brother, Basim. And we were driving, like we had a lot of shooting, like when we enter. And then we had to keep driving. And an IED blow up on my brother Humvee. Ooh. But he was still driving. And like, uh, you know, we pulled maybe like about a mile and we had to stop and we went to check on the guys. Everybody was okay. Just, you know, the tires and everything. And we had to keep going, but it was a heavy shooting, like from everywhere. And I remember we got to the house and we found the house empty. Yeah. Bad sign. So they took us, no, they took us somewhere else. The guy we're looking for. Yeah. We're trying to free. Because they kidnapped somebody from the Iraqi government. Oh, okay. The yeah. house where the hostage was supposed to be is right. empty. Right. It was empty. And then now we had to leave this neighborhood. <sighs> we have to make the Fight way back. Fight way out. Yeah. So I remember we made a turn, and they all were black, the, the, the Mahdi army. Mm -hmm. And I remember this guy, he, like, he tried to shoot. Like, he pulled himself, and our Humvee was, like, right there. <sighs> and... Before he even raised his, I think he has the, they call it the BKC. Mm -hmm. And before he even raised it up, I mean, he talking about there's a 50 caliber at the top, a 240 on the side, a guy with a saw, and about four M4s. Inside the vehicle. Right. I mean, right in front of this guy. Yeah, you evaporate So him. it's like, who going to make the call? Everybody made the call. Yeah, you know? yeah, open fire. And this guy was just treading on the air, you know? Yeah, yeah. This was like, I think the closest, because when I say the closest, like as soon as the Humvee turned, yeah. the back of the Humvee, like he was like a couple meters away. Literally so, the closest. Yeah, he would like, you know, Breakfast. but you know, with the training we had and yeah. it always give you the ability to control. It's your, reflexive. You like right. you just react naturally. Absolutely. And, and do it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, this is like the most, I would say, dangerous, but we just handle it like no big every deal. Every day. Yeah, yeah. Every day. No big Getting deal. Getting ready for breakfast yeah. when you get back. We had a lot of funny stories too. Um, I remember this helicopter's land in the countryside. It was northwest Baghdad. Mm -hmm. And we had to walk. And we were walking on the street. It's like all, uh, what do they call it? It's not as felt. It's like a farm street. Yeah. And uh, there's a farm. And, you know, they have, hey, you see in these small houses in the farm, mm -hmm. they build it like, like very basic rocks and stuff. Yeah. And we heard somebody like, you know, getting an AK, you know? Like he hears somebody yeah, like getting a gun. Yeah, the gun, yeah. Right. And everybody stopped. And, you know, all the lasers, we would like to walk in night and all the lasers on this house. And somebody shot in Arabic, who's there? And safe by my squad leader, he's like, hey, it's Iraqi uh, military, Iraqi and army military, drop your weapon, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, you're here to steal my sheeps. Well, like, dude, really? <laughs> And then we, uh, we like, you know, we had the lasers and everything, and Save gave him, like, 
you know, the option, if you don't, like, drop your weapon, we're going to, like, do something. Yeah. And he gave up. Like, you know, he feel, like, it's serious. So he dropped the gun, and he pulled in, and, you know, he had this long dress with, like, a bullion dress just in case, you know, for the suicide bombers yeah, yeah, and yeah. all that. And we captured this guy. He's like, what are you doing here? You just, you know, pulling security for these guys? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm just protecting my sheep. Like, from who? He's like, well, every night I'm sleeping and somebody come on my window and they go, 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 go in English. And I think they're American and I get scared. I never go out to my house. I wake up in the morning and like three or four of my sheep's missing. I was like, what a smart thief. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's so funny. They're getting their sheep yeah. jacked. <laughs> We'd always run into stuff like yeah. that too. And yeah, it was like, man, just go home. That's so funny, man. Yeah. You do you you know, you live you live in America now, you live in Texas mm-hmm. and you're just you're living your life. It's very different from what you remember. Do you get you know, you know post traumatic stress, right? Mm-hmm. What that means. Do you feel like I know some guys from ICTF who have post traumatic stress? Like we have mutual friends that I know mm-hmm. who have uh, serious uh, issues mentally. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of those issues? Do they come up in your head? And do you? How do you deal with them? Or what? What's? What do you think? No, to be honest, like I said, I always I have a very good friends, all Americans, American friends in San Antonio. I made a lot of friends, and I I'm very proud. I never get that mental thing. I feel stupid, like you know, um, to think whatever you have done. And you take feel it, guilty or yeah, something. And yeah, and you feel guilty. You just, I just feel proud. I never feel, feel guilty about anything. Hmm. And uh, and I work in San Antonio before the trucking thing. I did uh, a security in the mental health hospital for oh, almost wow. two years. Wow. And I've seen a lot, you know, stories like bad either. People, yeah, bad situations. Bad situations. And I made a lot of friends there. And um, I handled myself pretty well as far as, you know, the mental things and every time i go anywhere in there meet friends like you know ex-militaries and we just talk about stories i just feel proud and Hmm. not even guilty about whatever we did i wonder if that's a is that do you think that's a training thing because i feel like the more you could say elite the more elite you are the more training you have it's like the more uh resilient you are and not being affected by things from war. Like if you have less training, it seems like, you know, young people, less training, mm-hmm. they're overwhelmed. But right. more training, more elite, and we can cope with it. We can I, deal with it. I, I actually agree with this because if you look at the, like, you know, the stories about the mental health, even the suicide issues, whatever, if you look at the special operation, I'm pretty focused and watching the news on that. You don't see a lot of special operation going through that. Yeah. Like, it, this is the good thing, like, when you mentioned training. And for a special operation, they don't, like, feel guilty because they be in the front line. They mm. have seen, they know like, the yeah. bad guys. So when they do bad thing to a bad guy, you never feel guilty yeah. or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, this is the perspective I look at it from that perspective. Mm. And what would I be 
guilty or have an issue with like as far as mental health about like when I remember all the mission we have done, it actually make me proud. And I always tell the stories to my friends, the Americans friends in San Antonio and they everybody welcome me like they respect me a lot. And I've been to everybody houses. They always invite me for like house party, lunch, dinner. And uh, we go to shooting range a lot in Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, I help a lot of people like they never shot a bullet before. And you and, teach them. Yeah. And I teach them like how to do that, to do this. And um, I have a very good uh, friendships right now in Texas. And that people helps. Love. You have Absolutely, a, you have, yeah. You have With the family. background you have, yeah, yeah, everybody will give you credit for it if you if you take it in a positive way, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, we call it a we call that support network. You have mm-hmm. a good support network. Absolutely. In Texas. Absolutely. Uh, are you doing anything with tactics and guns and are you besides shooting uh, with friends? Do you teach mm-hmm. anywhere? Do you are you doing anything like that? Um. Not really teaching anywhere at the moment, but like I said, mainly it's uh, um, just like with a friend, go somewhere. I, I Like I said, I teach a lot of friends, close friends. It's not something like school or yeah. it just like I, I get a lot of calls from friends, from especially for the hospital, because I made a lot of friends like nurses, um, psychiatrics, uh, even like uh, basic employees at this hospital. And they, hey. Let's head the range. We just want, you know, to learn how to shoot, how to do this. And I just, you know, help them out. How are your skills? You still got skills? I I would say I, like, I quit. Like, I, I held a gun. Like, I never used a gun from, like, since I came to America to, like, 2015. Ooh. At the beginning, it was like I had some basics. But, yeah, like, now... Um, um, I'm shooting like probably I go to the range probably like three times uh, a month to four times depends on when I'm gonna be home. Yeah. Um, I like now uh, collecting guns. I'm 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 a big gun collector now. Nice. Yeah. What's I your like, favorite gun? Um, you mean a rifle or? Yeah, like AR gun, like like, like rifle rifle gun. What's yeah, your like gun? the AR, absolutely. Yeah. I got um, my favorite one is the the 16 inch sparrow. This is what the one I have right now. Um, and like I said, I still learned this from you guys, like watching your videos. And um, I had you guys in- introduce me to the Vortex tax. Yeah. And I try those Vortex. They're amazing. I wish we had those back in the day. Yeah, right? Yeah. You, like this uh, uh, one to six or one yeah, to eight, one the, to the Strike Eagle. Yeah. Oh, my. So fast. Yeah. I, I wish we had them back in the day, too. I know. We just had this red dot. That's, That's it. it. Mm-hmm. What are they called? The aim point. The, the aim point? Yeah, it's like yep. the M68. That's all yeah. the red dots. And it was crazy when we got the laser at the ICTF. I know. We're like, oh, you can see this in the night vision. That's crazy. I know. And yeah. And everybody, like, we go to the mission, just turn on for no reason, just want to see it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, That's what's what people don't realize. You know, you guys... You guys were equipped with some of the best equipment in the world. And so yeah. you had night vision, you I had yep. the lasers and yep. that that's a big that's a big advantage mm-hmm. in the battlefield. It's it's it was like that's why I say this is, it's my best experience cuz when I first put this night vision in Baghdad mm-hmm. and I look in the sky 
And I was like, holy shit, what happened? <laughs> like, you see, you see all these lasers coming from, oh, yeah. you know, you see this like aircraft you don't see yeah. with your own eyes. Satellites. Yeah. And I remember like we go to a mission and like we miss, you know, the the, the, the location or whatever. And you get this laser from, from the sky to show you where you have to go. Yeah. Pointing and out. Was, the <laughs> yeah. This is like, this is some badass shit. Like, you know. I love that. Yeah. Did you... You know, we had talked about before with ISIS, and I asked this question to my friends. How many people do you think, I mean, you know this, how many people did you lose because of ISIS uh, uh, since the beginning uh, when you left? How many friends? Um, in my troop itself, like my troop, we were about 22 guys. In my troop itself, nine. Nine, nine guys. guys. One of one of this nine is my cousin. So your and cousin and eight others because of ISIS. Is only for my troop. This is because of ISIS. Like other troops, the ICTF, they made like you know the sacrifice they made in this war. It's it's unbelievable. I have like, to. I want to do my goal next year, mm -hmm. and I want you to be part of it. Is I want to do a documentary on ICTF. And I want to go back to Iraq next year. That would year. be awesome. I would go with you. Let's go. We'll go. Yeah. Next year. I'll, we will line it out this year, the budget okay. and everything we do. And we'll do a documentary on ICTF. And I, I'm willing to go to support with whatever I can do, you know, just yeah. to make this happen. Um, they deserve that. Like uh, They do, yeah. The war. They, they, the ICTF always ready to fight. But sometimes, like, you go to a place... You don't expect, you know, what you what you see later. Like when they went there with the basic tacks, like all they got their rifles, machine gun, snipers, like no air support. This is like the very beginning. Yeah. And they got there fighting ISIS. They got all this training, all this equipment. It was not like easy for them to handle. That's why there's a lot of like we missed a lot of guys, especially like 2014. This was the worst year. Like my cousin or my troop itself, like uh, on on this incident. So they enter this house and uh, they found a gun, according to the story. So they pulled this gun and the whole house blew up. It was booby trapped. Right. So this is how then realized the, uh, you know, they have to replan how how they're gonna raid these houses. How they gonna, and then later they discover ISIS. They don't even walk in the street. So if they want to go from like house number one to house number ten, they're not gonna walk in the street. They would like break the walls between houses. So they have to re like you know, um, like train to like to go to like a plan B to see like how they're gonna fight these guys. Wow. Yeah, because they did not prepare to what they expect. Yeah. yeah. They weren't using conventional tactics. They was very yeah. creative yeah. in the tactics. And like I said, the, the, the thing they, they needed back back then, it was the air support. Mm -hmm. And like, we didn't have it because we pulled out, right? Right. Like before we do the mission with you guys, I feel safe. Like I, I don't eat. Like nobody's scared. Yeah, you don't you have know. to even. Sometimes you don't have to pull security because the right. aircraft sees. Right, they see like everything, everything. They tell you where to go, and yeah. if you need like, um, 
if you need response from the air, like they can, you know, destroy whatever, you know. Yeah. And we we used to be safe, and this is how war should be. Like this is how missions should be. It just not take your rifle and go fight. Yeah. It got to be bland. This is smart. Like you have to be smart. You know, like my uncle, he passed away about two years ago. He was a special forces back in the Iranian war. Wow. He was Iraqi special forces. And um, he always used to make fun of us. He's like, hey, you, the new, uh, I would call it the new school special forces. <laughs> you haven't done anything, whatever. Like he used to drink a lot and just making fun of us. <laughs> Me and my brother. I was like, and I was like, Uncle, what have you done? And he's like, yeah, I used to eat snake alive. I used to eat a wolf alive. <laughs> I was like, okay, so if I get an enemy shooting at me, do I eat a snake for him? Or do I, I, know, I know you're trying to survive, but yeah. you got to like learn the smart way. The tactics, yeah. The tactics. And I think it's all about technology now. Mm. It's just not like uh, how aggressive you are. Yeah. It just like, it's more mentally now, not physically. Yeah. It's a lot more mental. Right? Yeah. It, it, you, um, man, I can't wait. I wanted, I was... My brain was thinking about the documentary. I'm like, man, we yeah, need to do a documentary. That, that would be a badass. It would be so and awesome. And I'm, like I said, you got my word, man. I'm, I'm willing I'm, to go. I, I can't wait because we're yeah. going to interview uh, some of the old B23 guys, A15 yep. guys, C110 guys. Uh, and I'm I can excited. make the connection with all the ICTF yeah. in here and in Iraq. Yeah. It's easy to get uh, everybody involved in that. Yeah. And I'll uh, do any I, I personally think, and, and there's some data to support this, but I personally think that if it wasn't for ICTF, the commandos, mm -hmm. and ISOF, uh, Iraqi Special Operations yep. Forces, that uh, ISIS would have control. Of Iraq. Oh yeah, without without them, There's a lot sacrifice. of people. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. They said the other military and the, what they call it, the Hashid. Yeah. You know, they it's just not no. No, no. The guys were on the front lines, house to house. Exactly. Nobody like, was doing that. I got uh, friends. You know, they were snipers too. They're, I'm sure you know them. You're gonna recognize their faces. They stuck in the house for almost two weeks. They were four guys. Wow. And in, in, in two weeks, I believe, yeah, two weeks, all they did, just hunting. Mm -hmm. Muhammad, you so, said, show me pictures of Mo, it. Yeah, Muhammad, mm -hmm. too. He was, he, Muhammad is very, very good sniper. He's very skilled. Yeah. So imagine, like, you put four guys in the middle of ISIS, and they can, like, snipe for two weeks, and they can survive and do, like, a fabulous job. Yeah. This is this is how good is the ICTF. This is a lot of people they don't really know the inside of it. Yeah. All they know the media. And now they became just kind of babbler in the media. Now we need to spread the word and educate people yep. on ICTF. It's uh I, I would say they, they get the biggest credit for as far as getting getting rid of ISIS. They did the biggest part. What whatever happened to the general, General Fadel? Oh, he, he, he passed away. How did he pass away? I think he had, recently he had a very uh, bad issue with, as far as his diabetes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. Um, at some point he just, you know, didn't make it. Yeah. That's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. General Fadel, he was very special guy because, like, if you look at Iraqi generals, they, they, you know, they feel like they're gods, you know. Nobody mm -hmm. can get, you know, to their office or no soldiers can get close to them. You have to go like step until you can meet them. 
But General Fadl, he had his door open to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember this guy, he's like, hey, General, I, I need to get married. And I I just built my house, whatever, with my salary and all that. And I, and I, I need more money. And he's like, how much you need? And he's like about two million dollars. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, dinar. Dinar. Yeah. So two million dinars is about seventeen hundred. Yeah. Uh, dollars. And he's like, okay, this is three million, not two. You know, he's like very that kind of guy. Yeah, he's this kind of guy. Like mm-hmm. he's very close to the soldiers, and uh, he always got our back. Even you know, sometimes when we just kind of do like whatever mistake. So yeah. we know Fadl got our back. He'll protect you. Cause yeah, cause he, cause you know the Iraqi government, they don't like us. Mm-hmm. They hate us. Cause most of the Iraqi government, they backed by their own militias. Mm-hmm. This I'm talking about back in the day, and we used to fight those militias. You know, so everything happened. They just wanted any excuse to put the ICTF in the bad position. Mm-hmm. But General Fadl was always there to stop that. He and, he was respected a lot. I, oh I, yeah, I remember that. And very well known. Everybody yeah. know him. I hung out with General Fado before. And I yeah, drink, drink beer. He's and, fun. Yeah, yeah, he's always <laughs> drinking, cooking. Yeah, he's a very good guy, man. I, yeah. I miss him. Um, wh- when you look at the situation now, because it, I, the last, my last trip, uh, was with the CIA in um, 2015. So it's been a while. Or Bill. I did our bill in 15. Mm-hmm. Um, how has the government changed? Is it is it okay now? I, it seems I don't hear the news. Mm-hmm. I don't hear a lot about <clears throat> about Iraq. Is it is it better? Well, right now in 2020, it's getting better as as far as fighting the militias. Because from 2015, I would say to 19, um, the government lost control. As far as like you know, law enforcement and um, and these militias took over. You know, these militias backed by Iran mm-hmm. and Soleimani. He was the, their main guy over there, and he's the one who moved this here and this here. You know, and they got control over the government. Like even the Iraqi minister, um, the prime minister, he can't say anything. Mm-hmm. And um, even the Iraqi protest when it happened. The government did not fight those protesters. It was the militias, this wow. Iranian militias. So uh, if you're familiar with Qais Khazali, mm. this is like uh, one of the leaders of, they call him Assad al mm-hmm. Uh These leaders, uh, I mean, this, I would call it militias. They're like the worst militias right now in Iraq, and they're backed by Iran. Wow. Yeah. So Iran is still trying. I mean, they've always done this, but they're still trying to get power yep. in Iraq. And this is, I would say it from the Obama administration, mm-hmm. that's where the mistake happened. Because in my opinion, Obama handed Iraq to Iran. Yeah. Yep. This I remember. Is- I remember there was big problems then yep. because um, all the things we said we were going to do mm-hmm. uh, if Iran crossed the line, we didn't do. They kept crossing the line, yeah, and we never. There was no consequence mm-hmm. for Iran. Yeah, right now the government in 2020, Al Qadmi, he's the new prime minister. He's taking, um, he's making like a gun control for these militias, where the law enforcement and the army is the only one that can carry gun to protect, you know, the 
the internal system and all that. Because all this internal system was controlled by the, by the militias. Mm -hmm. If you go like to the health department, you don't see a police at the door. You mm -hmm. see these militias, mm -hmm. you know, and they got control of like over everybody. And you know what the sad part? These militias, there's too many militias right now in Iraq. Two of the leaders of these militias, and now they try to make themselves good to people. We arrest them. We capture them back in the day. Wow. And they got released. So they got released and now they're yep. charged. And so. now they are like big deal in Iraq. Wow. This, this, I'm going to be honest with you. This, <laughs> this is why I don't miss Iraq. Yeah. Because yeah. of all the real, I mean, it's, yeah. it, that's real mm -hmm. drama. I mean, it's not manufactured. Yeah. This is real power struggle. Right. Like you, like you and I know this guy, he's a criminal. He's a killer. And you and I captured this guy. And now he's on the street. And now he's like, some like he's in the Iraqi Burlamont or something. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not it's not fair what happened right now in Iraq. And like I said, I would blame all that not on the US military. The US military they always want to stay there and they always want to fight. They're always ready to do whatever it takes. Look at Germany, how many years they stayed there, you know, after the war in yeah, Germany. Korea too. Yeah. In Korea, they made sure that Germany was yeah. good to go. Iraq yeah. wasn't ready to go. Yep. Yeah, like it was too early. I, I don't understand. Like nobody talks about that politically, but when it was happening, everybody knew it was a bad decision. But mm -hmm. now everybody talks and they're like, oh, well, um, that's not our the political uh, decision maker's fault, but it is. We pulled, we made a decision because we wanted mm -hmm. to appease people to, to pull out. And even when we decided to pull out, I remember, because I was in Iraq in 15, um, when ISIS was like, okay, now it's our opportunity. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, nobody there. Yep. Now we have to, now Absolutely. we're going to do what we have to do. And instead, we could have already been staged there to protect Mosul, because so many so mm -hmm. many people died in, in Mosul. Oh, yeah. So Mosul, many Mosul was bad. Horrible. Yeah, like the entire city. Destroyed. Destroyed. Yeah. When I see pictures and video yeah. of all that stuff, it's just so sad to see. It's that. it's what happened, Mosul. Like even movies can't describe it. Yeah. Like, especially there's if you're familiar with the Yazidi community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Christian. Like Yazidis. ISIS, the Christian and Yazidi, like ISIS literally went to their villages, killed every single man, and kidnapped all the women, and with the woman as a like sex, you know, slave, slave yeah. and train their children under ISIS ideology. Like the Yazidi, especially in Iraq, they suffered a lot. Yeah, it's this sad. War. It's Because so this is their main area, like Mosul. All like most of the villages around the main town in Mosul is for the Yazidi and the oh, Christian. I hate that man. Yeah, I hate it's, that. It's it's it was it was terrible situation. Would you ever go back? I mean, outside of the documentary stuff, do you, do you go and do you think, oh, I need to go back and visit, or is it? Are you comfortable being in America now? Um, I'm more comfortable being in America, and especially when I got my American citizenship. My daughter is American. I got a six years old daughter. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, my ex was American too, but we broke up. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh okay. So um, this is not only the reason; it just I'm, I'm just want, I just want to give America the credit I feel in my heart. Like, 
this country, you know, like most people, most immigrants, they always have first home. Mm. Okay. The, but America, it deserves to call it my first home. Like if I would travel somewhere, let's say in the Europe, if they are going to ask me where you're from, I'm just going to say I'm American. Because mm. the, the way that America treats me as my first home. Wow. Yeah. Iraq, I did fight for Iraq, did everything it takes. But I'm not going to talk about the land, but the government, the system, I can't even like call it home. Doesn't mean like I'm not proud that I'm Arab or whatever, but as far as like America, that's it just this is like what I feel about it. This yeah. is what I feel about America. It is my first home. But as far as visiting, I mean, I always wanted to. I still have some relative there. My brother and we're still in Iraq, and um, I just never had the opportunity. Yeah, and it sometimes. It, you know, I thought about it before, but it was not a safe to do because uh, I have couple like people there I still don't trust. You know, if you go there, you're American now and something could go wrong, you know. But um, I got a job offer to go there, but I just um, I just didn't do it because I was too busy doing, you know, our own business. I just never had the opportunity. I wish we could go together to do we that. Will. Can, yeah. We will. I guarantee you. We're going to do it. I, yeah. I already, uh, next week, I have a meeting with a buddy of mine who does documentaries. Absolutely. His name's Foster. Very And nice. hopefully he hears this before, but I'm going to try to convince him to, to do it because um, I think uh, our brothers who died and fought mm -hmm. for Iraq and then uh, even American and Iraqi, mm -hmm. Um, that story deserves to be told. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, man. That's it. That was a good podcast. We'll do it again. This is just part okay. one. Okay. How, no, how you feel? Thanks. Oh, feel good, man. I, uh, I'm sure next time will be better. You know. <laughs> like, yeah, you did good, man. You did good, man. Your English is good. Like you, you, you sound like a trucker. <laughs> This is because, you know, you got to pick the accent sometimes. Like, you know, when you live, like, in a place. Yeah. You got to, like, blend learn in a couple little. words. Like, you know, like, Texas is very well-known about accents. Yeah. And um, sometimes, like, I, I would say stuff that I don't, like, you know, like, I don't mean say, like, go walk in somewhere and say, what's up, y'all? And they'd be like, you're Arab, man. <laughs> 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 like, what are you talking about, man? But I'm like, man, you, you you guys taught me that. Like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> That's so funny, man. Okay. That was a good podcast, though. I'm proud of you. All right, brother. Oh, thank you for having me, man. I mean, it's um it's, it's a very small order from Area 4, back at the airport, to here to Arizona, you know. I know. We'll go. Well, let's go get something to eat. We'll go, go get okay. something to eat. Okay. Sounds good, brother. All right. Thanks, man. If you see me running, I run to the front end. I take all the Wait. I won't turn my face from what I fear The tip of the spear